Well, this morning uh, we're going to be continuing the sermon series that Jeremy started for us last week, looking at good news in a bad news world as we work through uh, Mark's Gospel, uh, focusing on an aspect of the good news uh, that we find in the Lord Jesus. So last week uh, we considered roughly the first half of Mark chapter 1 from what verse 1 through to verse 20. And so this week we're going to be looking at the second half, that's 21 through to 45. But we're going to be thinking particularly about Jesus' visit to the synagogue in Capernaum. And we find that in verses 21 to 28. So that's going to be our particular focus for this morning. Now in that first half of the chapter uh, that we looked at last week, we saw Jesus uh, being baptised, being tempted by Satan, preaching in Galilee in the northern part of Israel, and then calling his first disciples on the shore of the lake there. And verse 21 then takes us on into the town of Capernaum that was in the Galilee region. Now, we don't know what day he arrived there, but the implication is that it wasn't the Sabbath, uh, because we're told that immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and taught. So when the Sabbath day came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach the people there. Now, there are many passages in uh, the New Testament accounts of Jesus' life that speak about his teaching. But this passage, these few verses, are unique in that it contains uh, the most references uh, to him doing that that we find in the New Testament. Uh, Within these verses 21 to 28, we find four references to Jesus' teaching. Uh, Verse 21, we've got taught. Verse 22, we've got teaching and taught. And in verse 27, teaching again. Now, as you're looking in your New King James's, you're probably thinking, ha ha, we've caught you, Gordon. It doesn't say teaching, it says doctrine. Which is true, it does. Uh, But the reason for that is teaching and doctrine are just alternative words for the same Greek word that they're translated from. Uh, That's didache, and it means teaching, and it's where we get our English word didactic from. So as Mark has emphasised Jesus' teaching in this section, uh, we're going to focus on that too. We're going to look at teaching, and we're going to do it under three headings this morning. The teaching the teacher and the taught. Okay, the teaching, the teacher and the taught. So firstly, let's look at the teaching. Now we rightly value teaching because it's the way that our children receive the information and the skills they need for life and for ourselves as well. As we seek to embrace that the concept of lifelong learning, uh, that's the ongoing, voluntary and self-motivated pursuit of knowledge, 
for either personal or professional reasons, as we seek to embrace that, we need teaching as well. Now, I don't know what things you consider uh, to be the most important that children should be taught. Uh, Perhaps you would go for the famous three R's, reading, writing and arithmetic. Or perhaps uh, you'd take a more modern slant and go for uh, sustainability, computing and uh, financial management. But whatever view you take uh, regarding the importance of various subjects, the most important thing that we need to be taught is how to get into a right relationship with the God who made us and in whose world we live. And we need to be taught this, not because it's just an interesting thing to know or because it's a nice thing for people of a religious persuasion to find out about but because it's a really serious issue. I would say that it's a matter of life and death, but it's actually more serious than that. It is a matter of eternal life and death for every person on the planet. Now, today, as I'm sure you know, it's February the 5th. So we're just over a month into 2023. So can I ask you, how many wrong things have you done so far this year? How many wrong things have you said? How many wrong things have you thought? If not, So far this year, well this week, perhaps even this morning. How many wrong things have I said and done and thought? Now I guess for you, as for me, the answer is going to be too many. Too many. And this is a problem. And it's a problem not just because of the hurt and the offence that we cause to other people. But because each of those offences causes hurt to God. The God who loves us and cares for us. And provides us with everything that we need to live. Now, the the Bible calls these offences sin. And because God is a just and a holy God, this sin has to be punished. Now, the Bible tells us that the wages of sin is death. And part of those wages is that we will all physically die one day. But the other part is that our spirits, that part of us that lives on after our bodies die, that that part will be separated from God for all eternity in hell. 
that place of eternal conscious torment. Now there's nothing we can do about the first part of those wages. We will all eventually die, regardless of what we do. However, there is something that can be done about the second part of those wages. But it's not something we can do, because there is nothing we can do ourselves. It's something that God has to do for us, and that God has done for us. The Bible tells us that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And God sent his son, Jesus, in human form, God in human form, Jesus, to take the punishment we deserve on himself. When he died on the cross, Jesus was taking the punishment for each one of us, the punishments we deserve for the wrong things that we've all said and done and thought. And as he does that for us, and as we put our faith in him, as we say sorry for what we've done, what the Bible calls repentance, that as we put our faith in Jesus and seek to live for him, God forgives all our wrong, forgives it and draws us into his family as his children. And the Bible tells us that that is what we are. As we turn to Jesus in repentance and faith, we become God's very children. We receive new and everlasting life and the assurance that when we die, we will go to be with him in heaven forever. Now that is some truly good news. That amongst all the difficulties and sadnesses that we experience, that we can know peace and new life with God here and now, and know the blessing of his presence with us, his Holy Spirit to comfort and strengthen and guide us through life. And then when our life here ends, he takes us to be with himself in heaven. Now if you haven't done that already, let me encourage you this morning to take that step. And to put your faith in the Lord Jesus. To know that forgiveness. And know that new life that only he can bring. So this is something that is absolutely necessary for us to be taught and to respond to. And it would have been part of the teaching uh, that Jesus brought when he visited the synagogue in Capernaum. As Mark records uh, Jesus saying in chapter 1, verse 15, 
Uh, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. But when we've responded uh, to Jesus' request, to respond to his teaching about repentance and belief, we then need his teaching regarding how we are going to live for him, how we should live for him day by day. Because in John's Gospel, Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commands. And those commands are things such as loving God with all our heart and soul and mind and strength and loving our neighbour as ourselves. And we can find this teaching in the Bible. So we need to be reading it daily to find out what it says, how we should lead, lead a life that's pleasing to God. We should be coming to church in person or online and listening to the Bible being read and being preached so that we might develop a biblical mindset that we might think in a Christian way about life and how we live it. That how we can navigate the challenges that face us in a way that is pleasing to God. But we need to beware, because there's a vast amount of teaching going on that is completely opposed to Christian truth teaching that we're exposed to as we go through the world. Now, there's the obvious things, uh, like uh, books promoting atheism or the occult, but they're fairly easy to avoid. But there are other things that are less obvious, and they include some of the materials uh, that can be found in schools now. In fact, the Christian Institute states that pupils are increasingly exposed to harmful ideologies in schools and being taught what is contrary to Christian belief. Now, the Institute are, in fact, holding a a conference here on Thursday the 2nd of March uh, to consider this issue and what we are able to do about it. But we can also find a, a more subtle form of this uh, unchristian teaching in what we watch on TV or in films. Now, I'm not talking about uh, specific teaching uh, as in things that teach us that Christianity is wrong. Now, they're there on TV. But what I'm thinking about more is the values and worldviews that are promoted by films and programmes that are unchristian. Now, I don't know if you watch soaps, but if you do, you'll know that the, the soaps view is that if somebody says something bad to you or does something bad to you, the way to deal with it is often... Uh, to shout at them or to hit them. And how often in films 
do we see the, uh, the approach that if someone hurts you, how do you deal with that? Revenge. Revenge is the way to go. And forgiveness and reconciliation, those great Christian teachings, don't even get a look in. Now, I'm not saying that we shouldn't watch TV or films, but that we should be careful what we watch and make sure that we don't start to absorb uh, those values, those unchristian values that we see portrayed there. As the American academic and lawyer Nicholas Johnson says, all television is educational television. The only question is, what is it teaching? So, in order to live for God, we need to follow the teachings of the Bible and beware of anything or anyone that is teaching what is contrary to it. So now we come on to our second heading, the teacher. Now, I don't know if you had a particular teacher at school that you really valued. Uh, somebody, perhaps, who helped you to understand a really difficult subject or made a really dull subject seem really interesting. Uh, for me, it was my high school English teacher, Mrs. Till, and uh, I rate her so highly because she put up with me. Um, I gave her a really hard time. So I'd just like to say, I'm sorry if you're watching and I really like English now. But we've all got those teachers, haven't we, that we look to as great examples. But whoever we would choose as our top teacher, and however much they might have helped us, no one could come close to the ultimate teacher, the ultimate teacher that we read of in our passage Jesus, the Son of God. And why is he the ultimate teacher? Well, speaking of him, the Apostle John says, all things were made through him, and without him, nothing was made that was made. So having created all that there is, he has unmatched knowledge about everything, even given that he's Full glory was veiled during most of his time on earth. Unmatched knowledge about everything. About the best means for human beings, the human beings that he made, the best way for us to flourish. And particularly about the need and the means by which we can be forgiven and reconciled to God. And if you're wondering what sort of uh, things that Jesus would have taught in the synagogue in Capernaum. Well, in addition to verse 15 of Mark 1 that we mentioned earlier, Luke, in his gospel, uh, records uh, for us the incident when Jesus visited the synagogue in Nazareth and what he said when he was there. We're told he, Jesus, was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah, and when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. 
He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then Jesus went on to say, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And then he said, No prophet is accepted in his own country. So those are the sort of things that Jesus would preach and teach when he was in the synagogue. And verse 22 of our passage tells us that when the people heard these things, they marvelled at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. Sorry, that was verse 22 of the Luke passage. But in our passage in Mark, it wasn't just what he said, what Jesus said, but the way that he said it that made them sit up. Mark 1.22 tells us that they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught as one having authority and not as the scribes. Now the scribes were the experts in the law and they would often uh, quote one another to support the things they were teaching. But Jesus spoke with real authority because as God in human form, he had the right and the power to do so. And he then demonstrated that power by casting out an unclean spirit from a possessed man, by simply commanding it to leave. And when the people saw this display of Jesus' authority, they were amazed, as verse 27 tells us. Jesus was an amazing teacher then. And he is an amazing teacher now, if only we will listen to what he says. Now we've considered the teaching and the teacher, so let's look finally at the taught. Now those people who were present in the synagogue when Jesus came in and spoke to them. Or more particularly, the way those people responded to what Jesus said when he came in and taught them. Now, the majority of the congregation, we're told, were astonished and amazed at his teaching. And they probably reacted that way because they didn't recognise who he was. And we also see that in the uh, incident at the synagogue in Nazareth, where the people said of him, Is this not Joseph's son? How, they think, could Jesus be talking as he did when he was just the son of Joseph the carpenter? They didn't recognise him for who he was. But had they recognised that Jesus was the Son of God, 
they would not have been so surprised that he would speak with that level of authority. Now here in the synagogue in Capernaum, there was one who did recognise Jesus. He was the unclean spirit we read of in verses 23 and 24. And he cried out, I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Now for him, that caused fear as he shouts, did you come to destroy us? But we need never fear when we recognise who Jesus is. Perhaps thinking that because of what we've done or who we are, that Jesus wouldn't want to have anything to do with us. That Jesus would reject us. Because that was how Peter felt when he became aware of the reality of the authority that Jesus had. And he said, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. But the Bible reassures us of God's love for us, whatever our situation might be, whatever we've done, whoever we are. The Bible reassures us of that great love. And it calls us to put our faith in Jesus that we might be forgiven and saved. Because we're told whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now perhaps uh, you've listened today and as you've done so you've come to recognise who Jesus is. And if that's the case, then that is great. But as Bishop J.C. Ryle puts it, it is one thing to say Christ is a saviour. But quite another to say he is my saviour and my Lord. So if you've recognised who Jesus is today, don't stop there. Don't stop there. Take that next step. Respond to his wonderful teaching and trust him as your Lord and Savior.